Welcome to Marriage Day Podcast. I'm Jimmy Evans. This is my wife, Karen. And we exist as a podcast to help every couple succeed in the marriage relationship. This is a big program today because we're talking about how to become soulmates. How to, how to, you know, people talk about being soulmates all the time, Karen. Mm -hmm. And there are a lot of myths. I'm going to be talking about myths uh, in the teaching that's coming up, the myths of being soulmates, because there are certain things that just set you up for failure. But we're going to talk about how actually to become soulmates mm -hmm. in the relationship. So before we go to the teaching, we have some questions. I, and I think you've got one there. My wife says that she prayed and God told her to divorce me. Before she served me with a divorce notice, I felt that God told me to serve my wife and to love her unconditionally. Oh, these are conflicting statements, and it feels like my God against her God. How do I know which is true? Well, it's true. You know, mm -hmm. when she when she says, you know, if if this wife says that she prayed and God told her to divorce him, uh, I would think that she had biblical grounds. Yeah. So the the biblical grounds for divorce, according to Matthew nineteen, would be. Uh, adultery. But, you know, it's not just adultery. It is serial adultery. It's unrepentant sexual sin. Just because your spouse uh, cheats on you one time, it doesn't mean you have to divorce them. You could, because uh, it does violate the covenant of the relationship. But you can also forgive them. But but what it's really talking about there, because when, when Jesus said, if, if any man divorces his wife except for porneia, that's the word. It means egregious, unrepentant sexual sin. And so if your spouse is a cheater, and they have been, uh, you know, surely unfaithful. Well, obviously, that that warrants a divorce. You know, if you wanted a divorce, then in First Corinthians seven, the Apostle Paul is talking about a believer married to an unbeliever, and is talking there about not just an unbeliever, but someone who refuses to put faith in God. In other words, this is in in the the two issues there are abandonment and abuse. The Apostle Paul says, if an unbelieving spouse will not live with a believing spouse. The believing spouse is free. Well, there's a couple of ways to say, I'm not going to live with you. One is to abandon you, okay? And the other one is to beat the heck out of you <laughs> or to abuse you. And so, uh, pastor, you know, been a pastor for 40 years, and, and Karen, we've helped a lot of people mm -hmm. in marriages. And so, if this wife is saying to her husband, the Lord told me to divorce you, um, I would think in that marriage there would be serial adultery abuse or abandonment. Now, if there isn't, she's not hearing God. And a lot of people will say they hear God to justify an action. So let me let me just say here, unless there's a biblical reason for her to divorce him, she's not hearing God. But I believe what he's saying, Karen, mm -hmm. is God. Mm -hmm. You know, if if he's saying in spite of the fact that my wife's divorcing me, the Lord is speaking to me to love her unconditionally. Well, that's what the Bible says. Mm -hmm. You know, that's First Peter three, and so I, at this point, not only knowing what we know from the question, I would I would vote for him, yeah. and I would just say he's probably hearing God. She's probably not. Mm -hmm. We know the scripture comes to my mind while you're talking, not to anything about what her she's saying, but is I, when I when I was young when I'd read the scripture about what Jesus was telling the Pharisees, you know that they wanted a divorce. And Moses let us get divorced, and God and Jesus said it's because of your hard hearts. That's right. And that stuck with me as a young you know, wife, is I remember thinking, oh my gosh, your heart could be so hard that you could believe something and it not be true. Yeah. And so you know, and 
I, you know, that's another thing that, with as a woman anyway, that we do have to check ourselves. We have to check and see, ask ourselves, what's really in our heart? What's really coming out? Because your words will manifest what's oh, in yeah. your heart. Oh, yeah. You know, and, it, you know, so there's probably a lot more, you know, that's not being said here. And, um, yeah, the, and it would be helpful really to know more of the details, mm-hmm. but it, it, it is. And the hardness, if you're unforgiving, well, the other thing, put it is because Ephesians 4 says, be angry, don't sin. Don't go to bed on your anger, or you'll give the devil a foothold. The word devil there's uh, diabolos, it means slander. Mm-hmm. When you go to bed on anger, you actually open a door to the devil, and you can think you've heard God, but you've actually heard the devil. Mm-hmm. And so it's a very dangerous thing. It is. Okay, so I have this question. Okay. Um, can you explain the difference between continuing to date your spouse versus just living as roommates? My husband and I seem to be growing further apart in the two years we've been married. I want the man... I knew before we got married. Well, and this comes back to what we always say. You have to prioritize your marriage. Mm-hmm. You know, so obviously things are coming, job, people, um, sports, or co- something's coming between the relationship. And, you know, if you don't prioritize that relationship above everything else, whether it's friends, you know, going oh. out, um, you know, it's, it's going to deteriorate. That's why people say marriage is hard work. You know, it doesn't just happen. You have to work at it. That's right. You know, in, in every degree that it takes, you know, whether it's prioritizing and having dates, date night and sitting down, and have communication. Um, you know, we just came out with um, our new marriage retreat. Vision right? retreat. Vision retreat. And so I'm thinking, you know, this is a perfect opportunity for them to get that book and yeah. to sit down and start doing the principles of what that book says, you That's know, right. to find the equal well, it, it, and here's the crazy thing is, and we did it, so I'm not talking down to people, but um, when you when you change what make you what made you successful, you're going to start failing. Mm-hmm. And that that seems like kind of a dumb statement, mm-hmm. but what made you successful when you were dating is pursuing each other and prioritizing each other, just like you said. And then you get married, and you think just because we're married and we're living together that somehow that means anything. You can be living, you can be sleeping in the same bed with a person you don't even know. Mm -hmm. And so you have to work. You have to pursue each other. You have to prioritize that. And that's my book, Four Laws of Love. That's, it talks about priority, pursuit, Mm -hmm. the laws of marriage. But it, no one is lucky in marriage. God created laws by which marriage operates. When you follow those laws, you succeed. When you violate those laws, you don't, and we almost got divorced mm-hmm. because I violated every single law in there. So we hope that this helps. We're going to go now to the uh, teaching on how to become soulmates. I think that there's a lot of misinformation uh, in our world today about becoming soulmates, and this is a perfect message for every single person or divorced person, you're not married, but also for every married person because it is important that we're soulmates, but there's so much misinformation that can actually set us up for failure. And I wanna talk to you about how you can become soulmates and have the marriage of your dreams. And I wanna begin by saying Karen Karen Evans is my soulmate. We've been married for 40 years. Um, but a week before we got married, my friends threw me a bachelor party and I was unfaithful. I cheated on Karen. And I, again, that's just who I was. And um, Karen told me she wouldn't marry me a week before we got married uh, because of how wild and immoral I was. And I didn't blame her. And, but the morning after our, my bachelor party is when I received Christ. And I didn't receive Christ because of Karen. I didn't receive Christ because Karen wouldn't marry me. I received Christ because sin lied to me. I was a very good sinner. I was an extremely good sinner. 
I, I woke up every day with a desire to sin and every day I, I went to bed very successful. And, uh, but, but empty. And I, you know, I had all these things I wanted to do. I, I didn't have anything that I wanted to do that I didn't do, you know, sin. But I went, went to bed empty. And I would lay in bed empty after parties and fraternity parties and all this you know, stuff that I did. And I would think, why am I not happy? I feel lonely. You know, and I feel empty. And so the night of my bachelor party was another example. All my friends were there. We did everything that you would think would make you happy. All the things the world says would make you happy. And I went to bed empty and I woke up and I looked at myself in the mirror and for the first time I felt bad. I had, I had no conscience. I never felt bad about anything I did. I felt good about it. And I woke up that day and I felt bad and, I, I, and Karen said she wouldn't marry me. I told her what I'd done and, and I said, Jesus, I'll serve you for the rest of my life and I'll never turn back. And I've served him all of my adult life and I've never turned back. And, and the instant I invited Jesus into my, my life, that empty place filled up and I became happy. And when I laid in bed at night, I didn't feel alone anymore. Some, something had changed and Jesus told me the truth. And Jesus was the reality in my life that I had been looking for. So Karen told me she wouldn't marry me, but after a couple of days, I lost all my friends that day um, and Karen began to hear about, you know, the fact that I had changed and lost my friends. And so we began to talk and we decided to go ahead and, and get married in our, our, our wedding. We got married. We had a destination wedding at Karen's parents' house. Uh, <laughs> we got married in her, her parents' living room. It was a very small wedding, very awkward wedding. Uh, her parents hated me and I hated her parents. And I'd only been a Christian for a week. I didn't know I was wrong to hate. So I still hated them. <laughs> And uh, Karen's mother had a Bible study praying that we wouldn't get married, okay? And those were the women doing our wedding. Now this is our wedding picture, okay? Just look at, look at this picture. This is, God love us. God, in, in Karen beautiful, and I haven't changed a bit. Okay. We had the most awkward wedding ever. And then we, we, we just didn't have a good time on our honeymoon. I can just tell you right now, it was, you know, because I'd been bad the week before and that was still kind of, we tried, you know, to have fun and we tried to act like nothing had happened, but it had. And so our honeymoon wasn't that great. We came home early from our honeymoon. We went to Colorado Springs and came home early. And so then our lives together started and, you know, I was a new believer and we were trying, but I was a jerk and a chauvinist and and, you know, we went to church on Sunday and I read my Bible every morning, but, but I was a terrible husband. I played, I worked all the time. I played golf all the time. I didn't meet any of Karen's needs. And after several years of marriage, you know, we were just on the brink of divorce and, and Karen confronted me one time about playing golf and I told her to get out of the house. I was tired of her complaining because I, you know, I just, that was just who I was. And uh, she was in the bedroom crying. I was sitting in the living room thinking I'm going to lose my marriage. I don't know what to do. And let me, I'm going to pick up here in just a minute, but let me just say, I married my soulmate. And, and I, know, I know that my story kind of pops a lot of bubbles because there, there are a lot of myths out there about soulmates and, and who your soulmate is and how you find your soulmate. And our story just doesn't fit with that mold. But I want to say, I married my soulmate. Myth number one is my soulmate will be just like me. This is the first myth. 
If, if I find my soulmate, they're gonna be just like me. In fact, if I really find my perfect soulmate, we, we really won't have to talk because we're just gonna be able to sit and look at each other and know what each other's thinking. We're just gonna sit in the house all day just giggling. <laughs> That's so funny. And we're just always wanna do the same thing, you know, and you say, you know what? Yeah, I know what. Let's go do that, okay. And you just... You're always, you're always just right there. That's what your soulmate is, right? And see, and I think online dating is fine. I know a lot of people have very good success stories with online dating, but the dangerous thing about this online dating is when you go on there and you match in all the categories, even if you match in all the categories, you're very different people. Listen, compatibility is based on character and values, not sameness. You're not the same. You're, if you find your perfect soulmate, they're very, very different than you are. Compatibility means you're a believer in Christ. We share the same values. We're, we're on the same ship going the same direction. We, our, our destination, our purpose, our destiny in life matches. But we're very different people. Our personalities are different. Our giftings are different. Our perspectives are different. And if you expect that you're... You marry your soulmate and they're gonna be the same as you, it'll break your heart. Let me say this, this is the reason that a lot of people stay single and a lot of people get divorced is because they keep, they keep encountering the differences in people that they're dating. You need to be a Christian, you need to have basic compatibility with character and values. But you meet a person, they're so different or you married a person and after marrying them you find out how different they are, worse than you thought before because they faked it really good. <laughs> And you wake up and say, that's, that's not my soulmate. Because my soulmate's just like me. No, they're not. No, they're not. They're very different. Number two myth about soulmate is if I marry my soulmate, we won't have any big problems and we'll always be in love. And, and this, this has set you up for huge disappointment. But, but the point is, if you marry your perfect soulmate, you're going to have issues that you're going to have to work through. You know, and if you prepare properly and if you, if you marry a believer and things like that, it minimizes those things, but you're still gonna have big issues that you work through. But let me say this, it's important to the devil that you believe this. Because if you believe that if you marry your soulmate, your feelings will always be positive and you never have any big problems, then when you wake up one day and your feelings are negative or you don't have any feelings and you're going through problems, that's when the devil whispers into your ear, you married the wrong person. I remember, I remember the nanosecond when Karen and I were fighting and we, we were at that point of fighting all the time and on the brink of divorce and we had a huge fight and she walked off and, I, and the, when she walked off, I remember where I was standing in our house when I thought the thought, she's not the one for me. What a tormenting thought to go through you that I'm stuck for the rest of my life with this person that I'm not compatible with and they're not my soulmate. Because, because my concept was, at that point, when you marry the right person, it just everything happens right. You don't have to work at it, okay? But that's just simply not true. Soulmates are not born, they're made in the trenches of life. And the greatest marriages are not marriages where two people were born with a silver spoon in their mouth and everything went right. The greatest marriages are where two committed believers come together, roll up their sleeves, fight the good fight, and you wake up one day and said, you could have left me 13 times, but you didn't. And you're my soulmate. Another myth about being soulmates is my soulmate will always make me happy and meet all of my needs. No person can always make me happy. The basis of happiness is God. 
Only, only God can meet our deepest needs and only God can truly give us a foundation of happiness. Let me say, if you have a relationship with God, you can be happy when people are all acting weird. But when you come to an individual and you put the responsibility of a, on a person to make you happy, you've set that person up for failure and yourself up for failure. When we're dating, we're extremely empathetic. I remember being so careful in every word that I spoke because I wanted everything I said to make her feel good and make her like me. That's called empathy. I, I'm, I'm being very careful how I'm making you feel. I'm being very careful and I'm being very sensitive to everything that's going on and how it could make you feel. And that's a choice. And I stopped choosing to care once I had her relationship secured and I began to take her for granted and I began to verbally abuse her. I began to neglect her. I began to treat her badly and I didn't care, I didn't care. And when she complained to me about the way that I talked to her and the way I treated her, I didn't care. And that was a choice. And the day that our marriage almost broke up, God got to my heart, finally. And Karen was not the problem, I was the problem. And I woke up and I made a decision and we were out of love, we were out of like. We had no emotions for each other, we were numb, we had fought so much. So nothing changed in my emotions. But I made the choice to be empathetic. Listen to me. You have two components to your soul. Your will and your emotions. And one of the most critical decisions in your life is for your will to rule over your emotions and not let your emotions rule over your will. The Bible calls people who let their emotions rule over their will weak-willed people. A million times in life, a million times in your life, you're gonna feel like doing something you shouldn't do. And your will has to be over your emotions saying, you can't say that to them. You can't do that. You've gotta be a responsible person. You've got, you've got to subject your feelings under a responsible will, okay? A million times in life, you're gonna to need to do something you don't feel like doing. And your will has to be in control. So your will says, emotions, you're gonna care. I don't care how you're feeling. You're gonna care. And I woke up that morning when Karen and I were on the brink of divorce. I woke up that morning and I made the decision to care. Isn't it great that we can do that? It's not luck, it's not fate, it's not chemistry, it's choice. And my soulmate was sitting right there, hurting. And I didn't care the day before. And that day I woke up and I decided I'm turning my heart back to Karen. And here's the way empathy thinks. Here's the way empathy thinks. I wonder what it would be like to be married to me. And when I woke up that day and I decided to care, I thought to myself, I wouldn't want to be married to me. And sitting in a house all by myself, all day long taking care of kids, and then to have me walk in the door and not want to talk and not want to, participate in the family and not want to open my heart up and not meet any of my needs. What a terrible thing to be married to me. That's, that's the way empathy thinks. I wonder how they feel. I wonder how, my, I wonder how my words are making them feel. I wonder how my silence is making them feel. I wonder how my absence is making them feel. I wonder how my sarcasm is making them feel. That empathy puts itself into another person's feelings and cares, and it's a choice. And the first time you do it, it's instinctive. When you're dating a person, it's instinctive. The second time you do it, it's intentional. 
I'm not doing it because of a feeling. I'm doing it because I choose you as my soulmate. I'm choosing you as my soulmate. And I'm choosing to care about you. Your soulmate is a person who cares. They care about you. They're a person who's tuned in. That's what we dream about, is being married to a person who cares about us, who's sensitive to us. That's a choice. It's called empathy. The second choice, and by the way, five minutes of empathy a day will resurrect a dead relationship. Five minutes. You sit down five minutes a day and just put yourself in your spouse's place and think, I wonder how they're, they're feeling. I wonder what they're going through. I wonder what I can do to help them today. It'll resurrect a dead relationship. Number two choice of being soulmates is the choice of generosity. It's being generous. Proverbs eleven twenty five: the generous soul will be made rich and he who waters will also be watered himself. The generous soul, the generous soul, generosity is a choice. It can have emotion with it, but it doesn't have to. I gave to Karen. When, when I was dating Karen, I gave her words. I gave her kindness. I gave her attention. I gave and I gave and I gave, and out of that, our relationship flourished. And I woke up one day to a dead marriage, and I made the decision to give. We had no emotions. We were not in love. We had no emotions. But the promise of Proverbs eleven twenty five is reciprocity. Given it will be given to you. Give and it will be given to you. Whatever you give away, will be returned, good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, it will be poured into your soul, your bosom. For whatever measure you use, it will be measured back to you. That's what Jesus says in Luke chapter six. This says it here, the generous soul will be made rich with whatever it gives away. And so I woke up one day with a dead marriage and I began to give to Karen. Karen had begged me to be physically affectionate. I didn't know how to be affectionate. I had two older brothers, didn't have any sisters. My parents were not affectionate people. My brothers beat me up every day. I promise, I didn't have any, I didn't know how to be affectionate. I would pinch Karen's hand. You know, I'd, she'd say, hold my hand. I'd pinch around on it because it made me nervous. And, and she's, I put my arm around her and I put her in a headlock. I thought that was romantic. <laughs> and she hated that. And she kept saying, can't you just be affectionate with me? Okay. And she also said, can't you just talk to me? And I woke up that morning and I decided I'm gonna to give to her. And I became affectionate. I'm very affectionate today. I became affectionate. I began to talk to her, sit down. We sat down face to face and I said, I'll sit here and talk to you until you're satisfied. I'll talk as long as you wanna talk. I thought, A, she's gonna suck my brain out. <laughs> and B, I've gotta be the greatest man in the history of the world to do this. But let me tell you, it was the most life-giving thing to me, not just to her. But I gave her affection, I gave her communication, I gave her attention, I hung up my golf clubs. I said, I'm not playing golf anymore. And, and I play golf today. Karen said to me one day after our marriage was healed, she said, go play golf. And I said, excuse me, I think I just heard Jesus. <laughs> but generosity, one of the most important things that we, it's a choice. But I, my soulmate is a person who is a giver. And my soulmate is a person that I invest in. And so, you, you know, you want to be married to a person who's generous with you. And that's, that's what soulmates mean. But it begins with me. It, listen, I'm not going to stand back and demand something from Karen I'm not willing to do. And by the way, you don't just reap what you sow, you reap where you sow. You can sow in everybody else all day long. But if you're not sowing into your marriage, you're not going to reap from your marriage. And by the way, when you sow your soul, you reap a soul. And that's how you become soulmates. When you give your soul to your spouse, 
you'll reap their soul. And that's how you bond and become one. One more thing, the third choice is the choice of priority. And that is making your marriage first. Marriage only works in first place. It won't work in any other place. It's gotta be before your children, before your work, before church, before anything else except your personal relationship with Jesus Christ. In my relationship, I put Karen first, and we do this. When we're dating, when we're pursuing each other, we put each other first, and then the demands of life, the business of life, whatever comes up, we just begin to, in real terms. See, I told Karen that she was first, but she wasn't. Work and golf and friends and everything else were first. But when I hung my golf clubs up and I said no to other things, it proved to Karen in real terms that she was first. Your soulmate is someone who puts you first. Your soulmate is someone who gives to you. Your soulmate is someone who cares about you. Hey, this is Brent Evans with Exo Marriage, and I want to thank you for listening to the Marriage Today podcast. We believe your marriage has a 100% chance of success if you do it God's way. If you enjoyed today's teaching and want to keep learning, hey, subscribe to the Marriage Today podcast and take some time to leave us a review. Your reviews help us spread the word and can encourage someone else in need. For more great marriage content, check out exomarriage.com where you can see all of our marriage building resources, articles, and live events.